What's happening, y'all? Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you with our top 10 redraft running back rankings. We're officially in season-long time of year. Mini camps are going fast and furious. We get to talk, you know, shift away from Dynasty rankings a little bit. If you guys want to check out Dynasty videos, we have a whole archive of them that they've been we've been kind of going through the last couple months. But now we're going to get into some redraft talk. Obviously, our top 10 running backs will be bringing you guys 11 through 20 in the coming days as well. But today we're going to talk about our top 10 running back rankings for season-long fantasy football. So if you guys enjoyed this video at any point, hit the like button, comment any of your thoughts down below, subscribe to the channel if you are new as well. Leave us any suggestions for future video ideas down below as well. We'll definitely interact with you down there. But Danny, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. And as you guys know, I've been watching the channel recently. Uh, I'm a big market guy. That's why I like Dynasty. I love talking about the market. I like talking about inefficiencies in the market as opposed to sticking to players. But let's be honest here. Although Dynasty is year long, redraft season is underway. And again, as Corey was saying, underdog fantasy, we are going to be smashing out a ton of those drafts when we are in Brooklyn. But yeah, we got to go through our top running backs, the meat and potatoes, the position that we love to hate on in Dynasty in terms of having these guys long-term on your roster. But as we know, hitting in a top running back in redraft bears the biggest success in fantasy football from a redraft perspective in terms of trying to win your league. So I'm ready to roll. Let's hit that damn intro and get into the first name on the list. All right, so before we get into this, as always, if you guys want to take this advice right into some drafts right now, Underdog Fantasy, using the promo code FSE, you'll get 100% match back on whatever you put in. You guys can start doing some best ball drafts. There's no season-long management. All you have to do is draft a team, and you get you know your points. It starts your best lineup for you every week. The Best Ball Mania 3 contest going live right now. You got your chance at $10 million in total prizes, $2 million to first. Uh, $25 entry right now. So if you put in $100 using our promo code, you'll have $200 on the site to play with. That's eight shots at $2 million to first place, a million dollars to the season long winner. So a uh, quick plug to underdog fantasy, shout them out for sponsoring the video. Everything that we talk about, you know, from a redraft ADP perspective all summer will be related to underdog fantasy because it is the sharpest uh, paid money league ADP that you guys can get out there. So before we get into the actual running back rankings, if you guys want to just skip ahead, there'll be timestamps in the description, but some quick strategy principles for how to navigate this position in redraft leagues, because like Danny said in the intro, it is very different in redraft than it is in dynasty. And we have a completely different approach. But the first principle that we're going to talk about here is you have a one in 12 chance of winning your league, right? Mathematically, that is your odds of winning your league. Most of the leagues I pay in are very highly uh, structured to the first place winner getting most of the money. So if you're going to draft a running back early, he better have a chance of being Jonathan Taylor last year, Christian McCaffrey in 2019, an elite season. And it could be a path different from other running backs, right? Maybe Jonathan Taylor's path this year, for example, is scoring a lot of touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey's path is a lot of receiving work. Maybe it's an elite efficiency type of year like Alvin Kamara had in 2018. So that's like the first principle that you want to keep in mind for the running back position. Don't draft floor plays at the running back position. And just adding to that, I mean, again, what are the more valuable videos that you guys would have seen last year? And maybe got you guys to drafting Jonathan Taylor would have been Corey's breakdown of chasing that elite ceiling from a running back in the past to doing so. And as you can basically refer to on your own data, Jonathan Taylor was a standout in a lot of the categories and somebody we realistically should have had higher in our ranks going into the year. But 
being able to spot those paths and being able to understand how realistic it is that they hit those paths is so crucial in being able to get not only an RB1, but a difference maker, a league winner at the running back position, which is what we chase. We don't chase RB1s. We chase for we chase league winning ceilings. Exactly. And number two, in terms of a strategy principle you want to keep in mind for this position is that running backs get hurt a lot. So unless we have a chronic or serious injury, which we do have for some guys like Cam Akers, Travis Etienne, guys like that, because they're coming off of major injuries, there is no reason to take into account recent injury history. For guys like Christian McCaffrey, who've been injured the last couple of years, for a guy uh, like Saquon Barkley, now two years removed from an ACL tear, there, there's not really any reason we should be talking about their injury history unless it's something chronic, unless it's something severe that they're coming off of. And again, J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers, Travis Etienne, these guys have serious injuries that they're coming off of. So that matters, but we don't want to be you know, caught in the trap of what happened with guys like who didn't draft Austin Eckler last year. Hamstring injury in 2020, people were like, ah, Austin Eckler's injury prone, I'm not going to draft him. That would have led you to passing on a guy who was a top two running back in PPR this past year. Yeah, I mean, we, we both know, uh, looking back on what path that Eckler took, again, if you faded Eckler because of his injuries, again, Corey said it bit you in the butt, but... With Eckler, it's pretty simple. The receiving workload, the offensive insulation, and the touchdown scoring were all on his favor. So being able to spot those similar type of breakouts that have the position and potential to hit on their ceiling is what we care about. We, we don't care mostly about their modal range of outcome. We care about what their ceiling exactly is. So yeah, you want to prioritize ceiling when taking the running back position. Yeah, and speaking of that, you, you kind of just touched on it. Every running back has concerns. You can poke holes in every single running back, including Jonathan Taylor, including Christian McCaffrey, anybody going outside the top you know, three running backs. Everybody's going to have concerns. How you know a running back is a smart pick to make is if the upside outweighs the risk, and there's enough in favor of that running back to down, like, is it maybe their only risk is that they could get injured, which is a risk of any running back. And a guy, perfect example, that is Saquon Barkley. His injury is pretty much the only risk that you could point to. If there's any, if there's enough surrounding factors around a player, it helps mitigate that risk of injury because he's, you know, in the best offense he's ever played in. He's an elite running back. He gets a huge opportunity share. He has good receiving work. All that kind of stuff helps you mitigate those concerns. And the last uh, strategy point that we want to talk about here is this year, unlike any other, and I did an entire thread on this because I think it's the most interesting thing I've ever seen. We're going to have a huge decision to make between veteran running backs and young running backs because a lot of these top 20 running backs that we're going to go through in these next two videos are either older, they're 25, 26, 27 years old, 28 in the case of Derrick Henry, or they're 21, 22, 23, and maybe they've never had an elite running back season yet. So we're going to have to make the decision point between the unknown and the devil that we know, right? The Nick Chubb versus the Cam Akers, right? We don't know if Cam Akers can do it yet. We know Nick Chubb can do it, but just not at an elite level. So that decision point is going to be the most interesting in fantasy this year. And it's honestly, I think it's going to make or break people winning and losing leagues is which running backs to go to and, uh, and how we want to decide between the older guys and the young guys. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because, you know, the fabled 2017 running back classes has basically dominated fantasy football since they came onto the scene. All those guys are either on their second contracts or, you know, 26, 27 plus years old now. So when we're looking at it, like the guys that we relied upon as our stable foundations of our fantasy teams these last few years have way more downside risk than we have ever seen with the position. Realistically, since what, 2015, when we had the huge overhaul of, you know, Devontae Freeman being the RB1 and every running back getting hurt, like that landscape is pretty comparable to what we're kind of seeing from a downside risk standpoint that could happen in 2022 if those fabled 2017 players or if the young players don't take a step. 
Yeah, that class produced 10 separate RB1s and 27 total RB1 seasons between the last, you know, five years or so. So, um, again, if you guys skipped ahead to this part, this is where we get into the actual player analysis, but we did want to talk about some strategy points. We'll do the same thing, you know, for the wide receiver, quarterback, and tight end positions. But uh, the first guy that we're going to talk about, we both have a different RB1. You have Christian McCaffrey. I have Jonathan Taylor. I'll let you take it away with Christian McCaffrey, who is currently the RB2 off the board, third overall pick on Underdog Fantasy right now. This is a ceiling play. I'm just going to mention it right now. Taking Christian McCaffrey is understanding relative to the rest of the fantasy football field that Christian McCaffrey's ceiling is nearly untouched. We're talking about a guy that if he stays healthy, if he plays a full 17-game season, has legitimately 1.3 times the output potential of any other player in fantasy football. I understand the risk. Maybe you got burned on him in the past. Maybe you had him the last couple of years. Maybe you're scared about taking him first overall. At that point, if you want to go receiver or Jonathan Taylor because of security, sure. But as we kind of outlined in the intro, I don't care about security at the running back position. It is a fragile position. I am shooting for ceiling. And quite simply, prior to the for the last two years of Christian McCaffrey, he really didn't have any injuries. And even the injuries he faced these last couple of years has been like ticky-tack hamstrings and lower body stuff. Nothing like concrete that will affect him long term and considering where he's at considering the type of player he is when he is on the field nobody has the combination of floor and ceiling that McCaffrey has last year the four fully healthy games or five fully healthy games that he played last year 27.7 24.7 26.1 and 24.9 point outputs with one freaking touchdown in those games when he's on the field, he is simply, as I said, a tier above anybody else. We're talking about a player that had over 28 points per game three years ago. Three years ago, before he got hurt, he was averaging nearly 30 PPR points per game. For reference, Jonathan Taylor was the RB1 this year at 22 PPR points per game. He is just such a advantage to have when he is on the field playing football. And as we've kind of seen, those two fully healthy years he had in 2018-2019, he was legitimately two of the top four seasons in best ball win rate we have ever seen. 2019, a 36.9% win rate. In 2018, he had a 27.3. For reference, Corey kind of mentioned it. If you're in one or you're one out of 12 teams in your league, therefore one out of 12, one divided by 12, you should have an 8.3% chance of winning your league. By having Christian McCaffrey alone in 2019, you had a 37% chance of winning your league just off of one player. That's the type of advantage. That's the type of ceiling that this guy presents. And quite frankly, for comparison, JT, as great of a season he had last year, a 16.3% best ball win rate compared to, as I mentioned, nearly 20% less with what Christian McCaffrey was able to do when he was fully healthy. I get the risk and I love JT, but the ceiling that Christian McCaffrey possesses, you're talking 300 plus rushing attempts, 100 plus targets, 15 to 20 plus touchdowns. Yeah, I'm personally not willing to pass that at the 101. Yeah, and it's definitely going to differ if you're in an underdog draft because then you're not. It's not a one in twelve chance that you win. It's a one in four hundred k chance that you win the uh, the best ball mania three contest. And if Christian McCaffrey plays seventeen games, I am willing to bet that whoever picks first overall or second overall and gets Christian McCaffrey is going to win that tournament because Christian McCaffrey is that much of an advantage. So in best ball, he will absolutely be my one on one because in that kind of large field tournament. You need that ceiling with Christian McCaffrey. So um, in season long, you just need to make the playoffs realistically, right? You have a one in 12 chance of winning your league, but probably a one in you know uh, two chance of making the playoffs because six teams make the playoffs in most uh, 12 team leagues. Maybe you want to favor a guy like Jonathan Taylor, fill out the rest of your roster 
and get your ceiling that way, that's fine. But I personally will lean Jonathan Taylor in regular season long, just as a main tiebreaker, that risk factor of the older running back, huge workload under his belt. Jonathan Taylor, the young running back, uh, leans me in that direction. But in best ball, in a huge large field tournament, I'm definitely taking Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, and, and again, that, that's the caveat. If you believe in your ability and you believe that even passing on, you know, the higher ceiling that McCaffrey has for JT, who I still love, should still be a locked and loaded top three, four back this year, and you want to bet on him maybe even getting more of a receiving role, by all means. But for me personally, I just couldn't stomach passing on a guy like Christian McCaffrey. He gets back to his ceiling, and ultimately the guy who gets him at second, third, fourth overall, wherever he falls, ends up winning the championship based off that one player alone. Because quite frankly, Christian McCaffrey is the only player in fantasy football that can dictate a championship on his own, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I definitely don't disagree with any of the on-field stuff. The one thing that I have in the back of my mind that is possible for Christian McCaffrey, though, is what if Matt Rule and this coaching staff says, hey, we're going to limit his workload a little bit. Just because he can't, because he hasn't stayed healthy the last two years, maybe they're not just like, hey, from an NFL coaching standpoint, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us to give this guy a 90% snap share, right? Because we want this guy to stay healthy. He helps us win games, which is going to help them not lose their jobs, which I'm sure they're worried about at this point in time. So there's a chance that the 2019 ceiling is out of the range of outcomes for Christian McCaffrey. Could he still have 24, 25 points per game, which is more than Jonathan Taylor had last year? Absolutely, but I don't think the 28 point per game ceiling is necessarily possible anymore. I'd honestly say 24, 25 points per game would be a median outcome for him if he stays healthy. And that that would be including potentially limiting his overall opportunities, uh, given that workload that he has been facing when he's been healthy. Yeah, I mean, like, if you want to argue that, sure, like, maybe his median goes down to, you know, 24 to 26 points per game. But, I mean, we're still talking about Christian McCaffrey. We're still talking about the best receiving back in the NFL and a player that has shown that he can be a great in between the tackles runner while still having that elite ce- re- receiving ceiling. So it's all your risk tolerant in my opinion, uh, tolerance in my opinion, Jonathan Taylor, we can just transition to is a more than fine suitable one one If you're kind of still concerned about that age and touch apex that Christian McCaffrey is nearing. Yeah. And this is going to be the biggest debate in fantasy. Most yes. likely it's going to be Christian. What do you do with Christian McCaffrey or what do you do with the one one is probably going to be the biggest debate in fantasy. Jonathan Taylor, currently the RB one overall first overall pick on underdog fantasy, the path to elite value. Like I talked about with the strategies, it's quite simple. He led the league in breakaway runs last year, avoided tackles per attempt with 44.4% top three in yards created per touch. Basically he's very good. That's, that's the path to elite volume. Uh, and elite fantasy production, an untouchable workload once they get into the red zone, led the NFL in carries inside the red zone, led the NFL in touches inside the red zone with 92 of them, which was like 30, 40 more than any other running back had. The boxes that he checks are very easy. He has an elite run-blocking offensive line, which was still top 10 in the NFL despite all the injuries that they suffered at that position last year, and a mild quarterback upgrade with Matt Ryan, who at, at, at the very least is probably a neutral to Carson Wentz, if not a slight upgrade to him. Uh, in this Colts system should utilize Jonathan Taylor as a pass catcher. A lot of people like to point to the immobile quarterback narrative checking down all the time. Plus, this guy has weak winning potential, right? We saw the five touchdown game. I was actually at it against Buffalo last year. We see the breakaway runs that he's capable of against the Jets where he breaks off an 82-yard touchdown because he's 230 pounds and runs a 4-3. Potential from one of the best running backs in the league. I have very minimal concerns about Jonathan Taylor. It's the reason that in a standard redraft league where I just need to make the playoffs to have a chance, I'm going to take Jonathan Taylor 101. But in a large field tournament, like I said, I will go with Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I mean, you outlined it. 89 red zone carries last year. Number two, 
had 52, which was Joe Mixon. 37 more red zone carries than any other running back in the NFL. 48 touches inside the five-yard line. This guy, to put it simply, is as soon as they get close to the goal line, the Colts red zone offense. If they are in the red zone, best believe their 230-pound workhorse running back is going to be touching the ball. Everybody in the league knows it. Every defense in the league knows it. The Colts know it. And quite frankly, there's nothing they can do to stop it. Yeah, everybody, anybody who's played football knows the easiest thing to do to score touchdowns in the red zone is run the ball because the offensive, like the passing situation tightens up there, right? There's less room to work. People don't want to, especially if they don't trust their quarterback, which they might with Matt Ryan now instead of Carson Wentz. They know that the easiest way to score touchdowns in the red zone is to have a hulking back like Jonathan Taylor or Derrick Henry or somebody like that to just pound the rock into the end zone. Just hold on to the football. Don't fumble it. And we're going to have a bunch of easy touchdowns. So yeah, Jonathan Taylor, not a whole lot else to talk about. Najee Harris are running back three as it currently stands. He's the RB5 9.4 overall pick on underdog fantasy. This guy has an untouchable workload. That's why he's our RB3. 23.6 opportunities per game, five and a half targets per game last year as a rookie running back. Some whispers say that they might dial his workload back a little bit. We've seen some reports come out already. But in my opinion, nothing has really changed. Mike Tomlin's still the coach there. They still have this dude entering his second year who's 245-pound bell cow, and he's going to use him as a uh, a workhorse. We've seen him do it with Le'Veon Bell. We've seen him do it with James Conner. Anybody who's a workhorse running back in the Steelers' offense gets workhorse volume. The thing I love about Najee Harris this year, too, is that he still has plenty of meat left on the bone if things break right for him. Because last year, he had a top-five running back season 17.7 points per game with the 30th ranked quarterback in PFF passing grade with the 26th ranked offensive line in PFF run blocking grade. So nitpicking Najee Harris doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me because it's not like any of this stuff mattered last year because he was still good last year, despite having all of those factors working against him. And this year we might even see an increase in the 3.9 yards per carry of efficiency that we saw from Najee Harris because he was a rookie last year. And there's a chance their offensive line gets better. And there's a chance that Kenny Pickett is better than uh, Big Ben or Mitch Trubisky or whoever ends up starting most of the games. To put it simply, Najee Harris is the definition of an anchor running back. If you're going, you know, hero RB or bimodal RB, Najee Harris is one of the perfect running backs to anchor to. Because, yeah, you know, he doesn't have a Christian McCaffrey JT level ceiling. But with Najee Harris, could I see him, you know, with more touchdown luck, with better offensive efficiency as a whole, adding Kenny Pickett, adding to that offense in terms of that receiving core, uh, quite frankly, moving on from the ghost of Big Ben, who really, really halted their progress last year. Could this offense, you know, go to maybe a a fringe top 15-ish type of unit? Sure. And if that's the case, I mean, your 245-pound bell cow running back, he sees a little bit of positive regression on the goal line. He sees a little bit of positive regression in the touchdown game. He goes from maybe a, as you mentioned, 18-point-per-game guy to a 20-21-point-per-game guy and is legitimately a locked-and-loaded fantasy stud for you. Like, I am more than fine taking Najee Harris. Again, from a non-running back guy like myself, taking Najee Harris at that mid-to-back-end first round because I think, quite frankly, he still has the security of that workload with potential for this offense to get better. Yeah, he'll be a locked-and-loaded top-five pick for me. I I I have no problem if anybody wants to take him third overall. Uh, if you want to lean the, the in a full PPR, if you want to lead Cooper Cup or Over Justin Peters. Jefferson or something like that, that's cool. But I think the lowest you could probably argue this guy is like five or six um, at that point. So, yeah, I, I love Najee Harris. Let's get into the next guy who is another example of yeah. one of those guys. We just have to chase the ceiling with this dude. It's it's Dude. untouchable. He was on pace to be the best running back in fantasy last year. Yeah, and it's going to be Derrick Henry running back from the Tennessee Titans, currently going off the board RB4, 7.3 overall in underdog fantasy. So, you know, seventh overall, I'm more than fine with RB4, exactly where you have him ranked. And 
with Derrick Henry, we, myself and Corey, had such a long debate about whether we could fade him or not. And we kind of decided, like, it would be hypocritical of us for me, especially to say, you know, Christian McCaffrey's the RB1 in fantasy. Oh, now go fade Derrick Henry. Because quite frankly, Derrick Henry, yes, he doesn't get the, get the receiving workload of some of the other top running backs, but his overall workload is just ridiculous. His opportunity share in 2021 was absolutely nuts in the games he played. Number two opportunity share in the league at 85.7% of the Titans opportunities in the eight games he played. Number one in expected fantasy points per game at 22.0. 36 red zone touches in the eight games he played and wound up with 239 opportunities in eight games, which if you guys are, are, are do, doing the math or are not good at math at home, 239 opportunities in eight games, nearly 30 opportunities per game. Combine that with the fact that he's legitimately one of the best real-life running backs from, uh, from a sheer talent standpoint. A talented running back getting 30 opportunities per game? I'm sorry, although I have my concerns from a downside risk standpoint, if Derrick Henry is healthy, there is just no way he can bust given that opportunity share and given the talent level he possesses. His volume, again, makes no sense. He's one of the few running backs in fantasy football that are the focal point of their offense, evidenced by, as we said, 24.2 PPR points per game, which was nearly two and a half more points per game than Jonathan freaking Taylor last year. The problem that he has, I mean, you could make the case that this guy's probably RB2. You know, you put McCaffrey one, you put Henry two. From a pure ceiling standpoint, you can argue him at two. The problem why we have him at four is that I am more nervous about his downside risk and his injury concerns than I am with Christian McCaffrey's, given the fact that he is a 28-year-old, 250-pound running back coming off a lower body in, uh, injury who has averaged 24.5 touches, not opportunities, touches per game in the last three years he's played. If he's healthy, again, I, I kind of mentioned, he's one of the few difference-making running backs that can flat out win you a league if he plays 17 games. Yeah, exactly. The, 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 you outline the concerns. He has 1,495 career touches. 1,401 of them are carries. So this guy's taken a bit of a pounding. But what I talked about in that don't sell these running backs now video is that the outliers for those Hall of um, Famers, they were Hall of Famers, right? And Derrick Henry has the best chance at the Hall of Fame of any running back in the NFL right now. Him and Christian McCaffrey are probably the two guys like Sands, Adrian Peterson, Frank Gore. They're already in. Yeah. But Derrick Henry has a 2000 yard season rushing under his belt. He has offensive players of the year under his belt. He is the best chance of a Hall of Fame caliber career. He's also just statistically a, an outlier as a human being. He's 250 pounds, runs a four five flat. Like this dude could be just an outlier and everybody's going to bet against King Henry. I, when you watch Derrick Henry play, you don't want to bet against this guy. I know it's, I know he has downside risk because he could get injured. Every running back can get injured. So I'm going to take Derrick Henry. He's not coming off an ACL tear. He's not coming off, you know, a torn Achilles. What I wanted to mention is, Guys, you've probably been watching our, if you guys watch our dynasty videos, have seen us, you know, shitting on Derrick Henry, shitting on Derrick Henry. There is a big difference between rostering this guy in redraft and holding him as an asset in dynasty. Let me just clarify that right now. Derrick Henry, redraft, I have no problem if you want to take him in that mid to early portion of the first round. Absolutely no problem. But if you have him in dynasty, yeah, I don't want to be doing that. Yeah, unless you have like Brady and a bunch of other like one year contending window pieces, I'm probably not like and Derrick Henry, even in Dynasty is the type of asset that I want to ride off into the sunset, the sunset with a contending team, because realistically, there's a chance he only has one year left or half a season left, or there's a chance he has two or three left because he's just that much better than everybody else. So um, he's the type of dude I'm willing to uh, willing to roll the dice with on in Dynasty leagues if I'm contending. But 
Uh, Derek Henry, everybody knows he's great. Let's get on to the next guy who was actually the RB2 in fantasy last year and Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler currently going off the board, RB3, 6.5 overall in underdog fantasy. And yeah, you mentioned it, finished RB2 this past season on the back of 20 touchdowns from scrimmage and 94 targets. And he averaged over 20 PPR points per game and posted, as I kind of mentioned, Jonathan Taylor had a 16.3% best ball win rate. Austin Eckler was actually higher. He had a 16.6 best ball win rate this past year. The pros, the peripherals are all pretty easy for Austin Eckler. Again, he's still tethered to what should be an elite offensive situation in L.A., being an elite asset in an elite passing offense with an elite quarterback with Justin Herbert. So everything is elite from that situational standpoint. And people might point, oh, well, like the reason you're lower on him would be Isaiah Spiller, right? I'm not really too concerned with Isaiah Spiller. I think he was kind of just brought in, you know, fourth-round running back, play the Josh Kelly, Larry Roundtree role, take some dirty carries away from Austin Eckler, which if you're an Austin Eckler owner, you don't want him to get those third and one carries at the 50 yard line. You don't want him to get those, you know, second and three carries from the 45. You want him to get the valuable carries and the valuable touches, which are on the goal line and which are in the passing game. And for Austin Eckler, speaking of how efficient he was as a player this past year, he was number three this past year in inside the 20 carries with 48. He converted 12 of them into rushing touchdowns. He had 10 receptions in the red zone this past year. Converted that into eight receiving touchdowns. So overall, he converted 58 red zone touches into 20 touchdowns. Ridiculous. I'm not a big, you know, oh, he has to regress guy. Oh, that's just unsustainable, yada, yada, yada. I'm not a big guy on that. But even for an elite player, which I think Austin Eckler is an elite running back. He's an elite football player. He's an elite real-life NFL player. Expecting any player, period, to score 20 touchdowns on 58 red zone touches seems a little unsustainable. Like if he goes down to the 12 to 15 touchdown range and he is a 17, 18 point per game back, like, yeah, you're, you're fine with that as your RB1, but if you're drafting him based off his season this past year, based off that 21, 22 point per game ceiling that he could possess, I think you might be left disappointed. It's funny because he was on the other side of the spectrum last year. He had three right? touchdowns last year and he has 20 in 2021. I think it's going to, you know, kind of balance itself out a little bit. I, th- I still think he's going to be closer to 20 than three because he plays yeah. in the Chargers offense. He should have a lot of scoring opportunities, but could Isaiah Spiller, you know, scavenge four or five touchdowns on the goal line? Possibly. Could Austin Eckler not catch eight receiving touchdowns again, mm-hmm. instead catch three or four, which is still good for a receiving back? Yeah, I, I think Austin Eckler probably hit his ceiling last year. I, I think is probably what happened. I don't know if he's going to ever have that kind of season again. Um, ironically, the path to uh, Austin Eckler's high rec- uh, like ceiling was receiving work, which he had 94 targets last year, but we didn't expect him to have 20 touchdowns. So uh, yeah, I think RB5 is probably where he should belong because I don't think, I think Najee Harris and Derrick Henry have higher ceilings than him. Yep. No, I agree. Uh, speaking of Austin Eckler, speaking of the ceiling there and the path to get to that ceiling... Let's get into our RB6 and a guy that kind of presents, you know, what we love about Austin Eckler, except in a 23-year-old body. Take it away with uh, DeAndre Swift. Yeah, DeAndre Swift, the RB8, 16.4 overall on underdog. Great second-round pick right now on underdog drafts. Nearly 20 PPR points per game last year. uh, Nearly seven targets per game as well. And was the RB5 in points per game when he was on the field before his Week 12 uh, Thanksgiving injury versus the Chicago Bears. He was number one in the NFL, too, in yards created per touch. I see people talking about... DeAndre Swift isn't efficient. He's just a volume play. I'm like, I don't know, man. He's still a very good player and he has breakaway play ability as well. 
evidenced by the long touchdown that he scored against the Cleveland Browns. I remember driving home from the the Colts game uh, and Bills game. I, I heard DeAndre Swift rush a long touchdown, and I freaked out. Anyways, his path to elite fantasy production last year, the reason we liked him, was receiving work, right? He playing for the 29th ranked offense in overall DVOA, which is what the Lions were last year, under Jared Goff as the quarterback with a first-year head coach and perhaps the worst receiving core in the NFL. We knew that DeAndre Swift was going to need a lot of receiving work to be very relevant, and that's exactly what happened. This year, he has that same outlook, except for a much better offense around him. Everybody's got their second year in the system. Amon Ross St. Brown's no longer a rookie wide receiver. Jamison Williams and DJ Chark were added to this receiving core. Any loss of work to Jamal Williams or any of the new receivers should be offset by the fact that he only scored seven touchdowns last year. And by the midpoint of the season, DeAndre Swift was a bell cow. I'd be shocked if anybody's still worried about Jamal Williams. But if you are, starting in week four last year, and there was a couple games where he was up near 90 95% of the team snaps. He didn't have a single game under 70% of the snaps after week four last year. This was a guy that was clearly the starting running back for this team, getting all the valuable work. So if this offense goes from 29th and DBOA to 20th, not a great offense, but a, you know, a middle tier offense, Deandre Swift has, you know, 10 touchdown hundred target upside. I'm glad you mentioned the change in offense. Everybody and their mother is going to make the argument that, oh, you know, his targets are going to go down. They added receivers. You know, there's more target competition. You know, TJ Hawkinson's coming back. If you're going to label those variables, at least label the variables opposing that where adding those guys is going to inherently make this offense better. Jared Goff in his second system or second year in the system is going to be better. So if we're, you know, detracting, oh, you know, maybe his target uh, workload, maybe his receiving workload goes down a little bit. I'm glad you mentioned that his touchdown opportunity is overall raw rushing opportunity is going to go up to combat that DeAndre Swift, I think has the potential realistically to be that next top five, top four overall running back in fantasy. So getting that in the mid second round, you're like, I'm fine. I'm comfortable anchoring this guy as my hero RB. You're telling me you compare, let's say Devontae Adams at the end of the first round, get DeAndre Swift. And then, you know, maybe we add a couple of the guys we'll talk about either at the end of today's video or next episode uh, of our RBs 11 to 20 to pair with DeAndre Swift. You are giving yourself such a ceiling to be able to access getting DeAndre Swift, getting Devontae Adams, and maybe a couple of the other guys that we're going to mention later. So DeAndre Swift, you're betting on a talented, uber-talented mid-second round running back. Sign me the hell up. Yeah, exactly. So another guy that finished very highly last year, um, a guy that we – frankly missed on definitely uh, yeah. Joe Mixon running back for the Cincinnati Bengals. And part of the reason that we're not holding thing, because if we didn't learn this lesson about Joe Mixon last year, we probably would fade Derrick Henry, right? Because we'd be like, ah, you know what? I don't want him." but Joe Mixon's the perfect example of all running backs can get hurt. So just because Joe Mixon was banged up in 2020, doesn't mean he's going to be banged up in 2021. So RB seven, 13.3 overall on underdog fantasy. Take it away with Joe Mixon. I think I'm going to start labeling Joe Mixon as gourmet David Montgomery. Because I think like that's the perfect way to describe his outlook in 2022. His situation is the main, or his peripheral situation are the main allures to a guy like Joe Mixon. Offensive insulation. We know Cincinnati is going to be one of the best offenses in the NFL this upcoming year. Full autonomy on the goal line. 13 rushing touchdowns. More than his career high prior to that this past year. You, I don't expect anything to change. As much as you want to cite regression, regression, like Cincinnati's going to score a lot of points. Cincinnati's going to be in the red zone a lot. Joe Mixon's going to handle the ball inside the five-yard line. We know these things to be the truth. And, you know, he's not uh, an elite receiving back, but 
48, 50 targets, I think you should be able to cite him in for this upcoming year. So when we're talking about the range of outcomes for Joe Mixon, I think you're talking about, you know, somebody that can finish between the RB4 and the RB11 overall, which you'll take. He's an anchor running back. He's somebody that you can load up as your RB1 and not have to really worry about that spot in your lineup. I think that's what the allure of Joe Mixon is, especially getting him at 13th overall. The the reason why I would fade him for a guy like DeAndre Swift or, again, like I wouldn't take him above a guy like Derrick Henry who may be falling around that same range is simply due to the lack of elite ceiling that I kind of see with him given the underlying efficiency and given the fact that he has, as I mentioned, a solid but not elite receiving workload. Uh, he's good anchor running back, and I'm fine taking him at the early person of the uh, round two, especially if you compare him with like a Devontae Adams, but it's not somebody I'm overly excited about. Again, gourmet David Montgomery, better offense, a little bit more receiving work, is going to have more touchdown opportunity. That's kind of how I view Joe Mixon. Dave Montgomery, you know, a mid-to-back in RB2. Joe Mixon, a mid-to-back in RB1. Right, and again, another concern we're going to be echoing for the next couple guys is 1,275 career touches for Joe Mixon, 1,100 yep. of those carries, 26 years old. Is there a chance he starts to wear down from an efficiency standpoint? Is yep. there a chance that he starts to wear down from a ticky-tack injury standpoint? For sure. It's a risk with all these running backs, but as far as the older running backs, it is more risky than the younger running backs. So something that you also have to keep into uh, take into account with Joe Mixon as one of those guys that is a bit older at the position. Just want to say, by the way, if you made it this far in the video, comment down below, gourmet David Montgomery, because I think that's the best way to describe Joe Mixon. For sure. Um, we can move on to the next guy, though, in uh, Leonard Fournette, who's another running back uh, who has 13, uh, 1,100 career touches, 940 of which are carries. You have him actually tied for eighth because I have Fournette higher, you have Barkley higher, but he is currently going off the board as the RB11, 23rd overall pick on Underdog Fantasy. I basically, if I told you guys last year, who do you think the RB3 was in PPR points per game? Most of you would say Joe Mixon, Najee Harris, maybe someone else. Leonard Fournette was the RB3 in points per game in PPR last year, and I doubt anybody would have guessed that. The bull case for, for Leonard Fournette is very, very simple. He is a proven bell cow who can handle a four workload in an elite offense, a top five at minimum scoring offense, an offense that I would place a Vegas bet on to be the number one scoring offense in the NFL next year, still running behind an elite offensive line despite... Ali Marpet retiring, they replaced him with Shaq Mason. They had Aaron Stinney to fill in for Alex Kappa. Offensive line still going to be very good. Six targets per game last year, number three at the position, number three in the NFL in red zone touches as well, plus no more Ronald Jones. Uh, and not that he was a huge factor in this backfield, but it definitely helps a little bit. He checks basically every single box that you want. The only downside risk that you have, similar to Joe Mixon, is that we have a 27-year-old running back who's dealt with injuries in years past with 1,138 career touches in the NFL, also 657 from his college career where he was also a workhorse. It's really the only way that Leonard Fournette fails. We saw him wear down a little bit towards the end of the season, suffer a hamstring injury, but as long as this dude's on the field, man, and if he you know, squeaks out 16, 17 games, he's going to be a top five running back in fantasy, and I have no doubt in my mind about that. The case for Leonard Fournette is quite simply the exact case we saw in the preseason for Ezekiel Elliott. Except you're getting that at 23 overall opportunity cost versus fifth or sixth overall opportunity cost you're spending on Zeke last year. I really don't know why Leonard Fournette is so low on underdog right now. I mean, you're you're telling me right now you can start your draft, you get Christian McCaffrey in the first round, you get Leonard Fournette, and then maybe you pair him with like Mike Evans. You get Fournette and Evans, you know, that stack, that Tampa Bay stack on that 2-3 turn. I think that's a fantastic way to uh, start your first few rounds. Leonard Fournette kind of gets the stigma that, you know, oh, he's not a talented player. He was inefficient, you know, low, low yards per carry, all of that nonsense. When in reality, let's look at the peripherals. You mentioned the situation. You mentioned the output last year, RB3 points per game. 
And the most underrated part is his absolute workload in the receiving game. He had what, like eight targets per game in the games he played healthy last year? That's yeah, when, when he was the because it took him a couple weeks too to even secure the full workload. They were splitting touches at the beginning of the season. And I think to the you brought up Ezekiel Elliott. I think the difference between those two guys is that Ezekiel Elliott prior to last year registered his lowest efficiencies of his career. Leonard Fournette was quite the opposite case, 4.5 yards per carry last year, the highest total of his career. So I mean, maybe Leonard Fournette has a little bit of a back nine to his career and he, he's productive into his like late 20s or something like that. Like I don't get the stigma around Leonard Fournette you mentioned like he was a genuine real life good NFL running back and he has all the situational success around him to dictate that he should be an RB1 this upcoming year so I'll take him at value I mean I mentioned you know the McCaffrey Fournette Evans start but if you want to get him as your anchor running back your hero running back because you know people are overreacting to a photo of him looking chubby in the offseason go right ahead I'm more than fine with that yeah, I think the interesting thing, uh, thing too, with Leonard Fournette, like I said at the beginning uh, of the argument, is that he didn't secure the workload until midway through the season. It was week four, actually, that he started to secure a full workload. And when you actually look at the splits, I'm pulling them up right now. Week 14 was the last game that he played um, against the Buffalo Bills where he wasn't injured. So when you take the splits from week four to week uh, 14, in terms of PPR points per game, Leonard Fournette averaged 21.3 PPR points per game. He was Different over that threshold of an elite fantasy running back. And again, nothing's really changed about his situation. If, if Tom Brady was gone, obviously this is a different conversation. But he's back, and he's better than ever. So yeah, Leonard Fournette, a guy that I'm going to have a lot of in underdog, in you know regular redraft leagues. Well, let's move on to the guy you have slightly above Leonard Fournette, which is kind of inexplicable to me. But Saquon Barkley, uh, running back for the New York Giants. RB 12, 23rd overall on underdog fantasy. You said inexplicable. You know how talented Saquon Barkley is. So oh, I, don't I know. know it's inexplicable. We'll get into it though, because I mean, we have seen the type of difference maker that Saquon Barkley is when he's healthy. And let's just talk about the underrated aspect of when he is healthy, he is an NFL workhorse. He is a sheer NFL workhorse. 23.9 opportunities per game in his rookie year in 2018. Everybody's going to point to the fact that it was arguably one of the best rookie seasons from a running back. We have seen since what the early to mid two thousands. Like we're 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 talking about all time level producer as a rookie in two thousand eighteen. Average twenty two point three opportunities per game in two thousand nineteen, despite battling a high ankle sprain in the middle of that year. He basically missed the whole twenty twenty season with an ACL injury, and then his first year off his ACL this past year, he was battling ankle concerns. He was battling low body concerns. Still averaged nearly seventeen opportunities per game, despite being banged up realistically throughout the whole season. Now we're getting Saquon Barkley, the still uber-talented player, playing in the best offensive situation that he has ever seen in the NFL, who gets to play under a Brian Dable guidance, uh, the official new hire of the New York Giants, adding a, a star, superstar-level prospect, Evan Neal, on the offensive line. Like, the only way he does not pay off his injury, and I mean, you, you guys should see the tweet on the screen, but it was kind of, you know, a poll. I mentioned that uh, in our Dynasty running back rankings video, but it was a poll of who players would take um, or fantasy managers would take in redraft straight up. And, you know, it had names like Aaron Jones on it. And quite frankly, Aaron Jones was beating Saquon Barkley on this list. So I quote tweeted and said, the only, like, let's think of it from a range of outcome standpoint, range of, sorry. Let's think of it from a return on investment standpoint. Aaron Jones's ways to disappoint from a return on investment standpoint are quite literally age, touch workload, injury, less scoring opportunity from losing a top three to five receiver. Saquon Barkley's injury. 
as we kind of said, running back is a fragile position. Let's bank on weekly ceiling. Let's bank on overall season ceiling. If Saquon Barkley plays 16, 17 games in a Brian Dable offense, which should already increase offensive efficiency since he's been a rookie, like he's got a legitimate 22, 23, 24 point per game ceiling. I wouldn't be shocked if he's challenging like Jonathan Taylor in that range, given the level of talent that I still think he possesses that we haven't really been able to see, quite frankly, since the lower body injuries that he has suffered in these past two years. Saquon Barkley is going to remind people that he is an elite NFL running back. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing else I can say about Saquon. You guys know I love Saquon. It, yeah, it, it, there's nothing against him health-wise, right? Because we, we can't hold ticky-tacky injuries. You got, you saw the play that the Cowboys player, like, he stepped on his own ankle or whatever. Like, that's the freakiest, flukiest play I've ever seen a running back get injured on. And Saquon Barkley, two years removed from the ACL, has no injury concerns. He has zero. So... The fact that he's going to be on the field this year and what projects to be the best offense he's ever played in, best offensive line he's ever played behind. Yeah, he still has Daniel Jones as his quarterback. Yeah, it's still the New York Giants. They haven't been good for a couple of years, but I, I trust Saquon Barkley to be able to get it done, uh, especially at the price that you're getting him for. Because last year, you had to spend a top five pick on the guy still coming off of an ACL tear. This year, he's a second round pick, late second round pick, sometimes in the third, third round. So um, a guy that I'm definitely willing to pick at that price. If you can draft, you know, Cooper Cup or Justin Jefferson early in your draft and come around with Leonard Fournette and Saquon Barkley at the turn. It's absolutely absurd. It it, it just makes no sense because we were all in on this guy last year, the first year coming off an ACL, which is what we kind of cited with Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook did not look like himself first year off the ACL. We were all on him last year. We saw that he took time to recover from that injury and dealt with injury during the season. And now that he's going into a healthy offseason, he's going into a season where he has been healthy realistically for the first time in a year and a half, nearly two years, under the best offensive situation he's ever seen. And he's a near third-round pick. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. So let's move on to the last guy of this video, RB10. Uh, we already kind of touched on him, which was Dalvin Cook. RB6 off the board, 10.3 overall on underdog. We have him highlighted in red here as a guy to avoid. Yeah. And there's definitely some things working in Dalvin Cook's favor, right? He has a top five opportunity share in the NFL at the running back position. He had seven games last year out of the 14, I believe, that he played with more than 20 carries. This guy gets volume, plays in a great offense or good offense at the very least, and has a featured role on the goal line. Once they get down to the 20-yard line, he gets the ball. But similar to Leonard Fournette, we have a guy with 1,200 career touches under his belt, over 1,000 of them carries, who's missed at least two games every year of his career, excluding his ACL season, too. He's, even every other year of his career, he's missed at least two games. So the issue with why I'm going to be out on Dalvin Cook is that his touches caught up with his efficiency last year, which is what yep. we saw with Ezekiel Elliott. In 2019 and 2020, Dalvin Cook was one of the best running backs in the league. Top six in both evaded tackles per attempt and top 12 in yards created per touch. Last year, he fell to 27th rank in uh, evaded tackles per touch and 39th in yards created per touch. Many will point to, you know, Dalvin Cook's going to be just fine because he only scored like six touchdowns last year. But this the efficiency is probably why he scored less touchdowns, not necessarily bad luck or, you know, positive regression or anything that people are going to cite. The risk for me on Dalvin Cook is that he might be over the hill as a player. And that's not someone I want to invest in at the 10th overall pick, RB6 off the board. If he is the best available running back for me on the board, I'm going to pick a wide receiver. I'm going to go with Stephon Diggs. I'm going to go with Devontae Adams, CeeDee Lamb, somebody like that. Or I'm just going to you know, pick a different running back depending on who else is there. So for me, Dalvin Cook, I'm not holding just the injury concern against him. It's not that I think he's going to get injured because he's uh, over the hill in terms of uh, the amount of touches that he has. I'm concerned that he, got, he lost a step as a player. Thank you for mentioning it. 
everybody on the timeline will again the O'Connell hire was was great for what should be the efficiency and pace of play of this offense, which is probably going to be the, the common counter to the argument. If Dalvin Cook was still the elite player that we saw from 2019, 2020, and I could fully wholeheartedly say that, I'd have no problem ranking this guy in my RB5, RB6 range. I think he's way closer to Ezekiel Elliott than people really want to admit. He did not look good last year. Again, you want to point to touchdown luck? You want to point to inefficiency in the red zone? Yeah, sure. Should he regress positively to a certain degree? Yeah, I, I can see that. Does he have the RB2, RB3 overall ceiling in fantasy anymore? I do not think that was. Under 16 fantasy points per game last year, I, I don't think people want to admit how close he actually was in a point-per-game output uh, standpoint to what Ezekiel Elliott was realistically giving you. Is Dalvin Cook a better player than Ezekiel Elliott is right now? Yeah, sure. But does that really matter when you're projecting a player that you're taking at 10th overall? Absolutely not. Yeah, again, I feel like people, the same exact outcome is going to happen with what happened with Ezekiel Elliott last year. People are going to be like, well, he finishes the RB8 and, and final finish, but he's he played 14 games and he was banged up in some of them and he you know, had uh, you know 16 points per game. And it's like, that's not going to win you a championship at the 10th overall pick. I would rather take the risk on Stephon Diggs, who in PPR has a 25 point per game type of ceiling. Yeah, like with Dalvin Cook, uh, and I agree with that. Stephon Diggs, you know, people are going to point to the fact that, oh, you know, maybe he was disappointed last year. But when you're tethered to that offense, when you're tethered to the Bills offense, and when you garner as much targets as Stephon Diggs does, I'm easily taking that in any type of PPR, half, full PPR, over a guy like Dalvin Cook. And quite frankly, like, the efficiency didn't only just, like, you know, fall off a little bit or, you know, he was an average player last year. Like, it fell off a ton. Fantasy points per opportunity, number 59. Um, despite being, uh, again, 17.4 fantasy points expected per game was at sub-16. sub, sub 16. So he was a very inefficient player. Averaged 1.6 fantasy points less per game than he should have been able to score based off the expected points per game that was outlined for him given the opportunity. Could that be, again, bad luck? Sure. But 26-year-old running back, bad efficiency year, I'm way more likely to bet on him not only maintaining that efficiency, but maybe even decreasing that efficiency as opposed to getting back to the elite-level player that we saw in years past. Right, and and if anybody wants to point to, oh, he's playing through injuries last year. It's like I feel like Dalvin Cook plays through injuries every year, so every I, year. I don't think yeah, I don't think it's something that was just unique to last year as far mm -hmm. as him playing through injuries. Maybe last year was the first year he realized he wasn't as efficient playing through injuries as he's been in previous years. Hundred and sixtieth in running back EPA, number thirty nine in yards created per touch. So like, yeah, he could have been fighting injury, but and this is these are categories that Dalvin Cook is is way above the league average in. Like this is, we're not talking about a guy who's like Joe Mixon, who's never really been that efficient throughout his career. We're talking about a guy that has, has always been more efficient than everybody else. Yeah. Agreed. Like they also lose, they also lose the Kubiak system, right? That matters for Dalvin Cook. He is the reason he was like a five yard per carry running back in 2020 is because of how running back friendly that system is. It's a similar system, but it's more friendly to pass catching uh, options than it is to, to running options like the Kubiak system was. Yep. No, I uh, I agree. Uh, again, we, we would go through honorable mentions, but uh, that'll be for a whole separate video as we go through our running backs 11 to 20. If you made it this far, nearly 15 minutes in, kind of longer than we expected, but you know we had to get our spiels out. This is running draft season. This is redraft season. We want to make you guys or help you guys make those crucial decisions when on the clock. Smash a like button. Again, we <laughs> have been so dynasty focused that finally being able to you know roll up the sleeves, 
get into redraft season and help you guys win those championships that Corey has behind him is ultimately our main goal over here at FSC. Right. And I'm not trying to lose that fucking trophy either because no one's going to trade with me after the past two years. So I got to make sure that I draft really well or else I'm not going to be able to get anybody in a trade because even before I'm like, oh, I'm going to take the risk on this guy because I can always get an upgrade in a trade later when they have down weeks. But man, I don't think any... the second somebody sees a trade in their inbox on sleeper for me, they're just going to decline it. Dude. Like the, the common reaction now is what do you know that I don't is basically yeah, what I know. And that was the case last year too. But like I was still able to take advantage of people having down weeks and I did a fucking trade targets video every single week talking about always buying players after low weeks. And people started to catch on to that in my league. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that anymore, but that's the sacrifice you got to make when you have a fantasy football YouTube Amen. channel that your league mates are watching. So like Danny said, like comment, subscribe, As always, check out our sponsors over on Underdog Fantasy. You guys can take some of this advice, fade your Dalvin Cooks and go grab your, you know, uh, Najee Harris's or whatever in these drafts that are going live right now. Best Ball Mania 3, $10 million in total prizes using the promo code FSE at sign up and first deposit. You get 100% on whatever you put in. That's if you put in 100 bucks, you get uh, 200 on the site to play with. That is eight entries into Best Ball Mania 3. And as a thank you, For using our promo code, you'll also get our Dynasty Rankings Manifesto and our Redraft Rankings Manifesto when that drops um, for free as a thank you for that. So, And if you guys have already used our code, don't worry, you'll have access to both of those. Yep. No, absolutely. But either way, take care. Enjoy the week. Peace out.